Hi, I'm Rick Owen, and I am pleased to share with you the readings for the fifth Sunday of Lent. Everybody loves a redemption story. I mean, we really do. Uh, Every Christmas, uh, my grandmother would gather us around the TV, by the way, a black and white TV in her house in Florence, Alabama, at least once uh, to see the uh, Christmas Carol by Dickens because she loved the fact, in her words, that old Scrooge is going to, in the end, come around and he's going to be redeemed. We all like a good redemption story. In fact, if we look at the Scriptures from beginning to end, it seems that the story of the Scripture and God's relationship to all of us has been one of redemption and restoration. It was Albert Outler, Wesleyan scholar of another decade, and also a theologian for so many years, is the one who shared with us the wonderful phrase from Disciple One, I believe it was, for those of you that may have taken Disciple, that the Bible was a story of covenant-making and covenant-breaking, but also a covenant renewal that always seemed to come, I would add to that statement. It is very true that God continued to try to enhance the relationship between Himself and His people, whether it was from the very beginning in the book of Genesis, or whether it was with Abraham and a covenant, or whether it was with Moses and the Ten Commandments, or whether it was the renewal of the covenant through the prophets, or ultimately in the fulfillment of the law and the covenant in His Son, Jesus Christ, who in the words of the Gospel of John from the message when God became human and moved into our neighborhood or the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in other versions of the Scriptures. Jeremiah 31, which is one of the Scriptures for today's uh, message, is really a powerful, powerful part of the Scriptures for the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah is expressing to the people of Israel who had been in broken relationship with God over a history of broken relationships, people who had been in the storm of the exile, God is redeeming and restoring the nation. Now, our scripture today is in chapter 13, verses 31 through 34, but I want to go back to verses 1 through 3 first, because it sort of helps us understand what's going to happen in verse 31 and 34. Here's what it says. In the latter days, you will understand this. At that time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who have survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. That everlasting love, even even when there was brokenness, even when there was a failure to keep the covenant, was realized all over again. It's a a redemption story, if you will, an Old Testament uh, prodigal son, except in this case, it is the Old Testament prodigal Israel that is returning to be restored in their nation. But at the same time, something much deeper than that. God is assuring His people that He will once again take them back into a loving relationship that was intended at creation 
and continue with them no matter what they had done, whatever sinful things that had been occurring before, no matter what had caused them to fall away from that covenant. God said, He remains faithful. He remained uh, so faithful in that everlasting love that He was willing to wrap them in His arms again and bring them close to Him. Ultimately, ultimately we understand that the ongoing relationship with God is what gives our lives true meaning. Now, skip back over now from the first three verses over to verse 31, which is actually the scripture, the Old Testament lesson for the fifth Sunday of Lent. I want to share those words with you because they are so powerful and they are words we know and we have heard before, but I want you to hear us one more time. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. A covenant that they broke, though I was there, I was their husband, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Wow, a new covenant. We had the benefit this past week of listening to Susan Beaumont uh, talk about the liminal time in which we live. The time, uh, a liminal time, as she explained to us, and it was, it was a great session. She explained to us that a liminal time is when something is ending and something is yet to begin. Israel had ended the exile and were waiting for the restoration of their nation as they returned back to Israel from that exile. And in that liminal moment, in that in-between time, God steps in and says, I have loved you from the beginning. No matter what you've done before, I have loved you. No matter what sin has been committed, I have loved you. And I will forgive you and I will forget your iniquity. But it goes a little step further. It seems that in Jeremiah, we are told that this idea of the covenant, which had been from the from the very beginning, really, Adam and Eve in the garden, God intended for them to be his people and he would be their God. <clears throat> he made it more a, a, a solid covenant, uh, a written covenant, if you will, uh, in many ways with Abraham. It was a solid word of God. I will be your God and you will be my people. And then <clears throat> solidified that even more on stones of tablet when Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and brings down uh, the Ten Commandments to solidify the covenant. I used to teach Old Testament uh, in, for freshmen in college, and one of my mantras that I used to share, in fact, this class would almost quote it with me and almost giggle as we did it, was I said, God in the beginning wanted us to be his people. He gave a covenant to Abraham and said, I'll be your God, you be my people. Then because they didn't keep that covenant, <laughs> God gave them 10 rules or 10 commandments to keep the one covenant. And then because we couldn't keep the Ten Commandments, we got over 600 Levitical laws so we could help keep us the Ten Commandments so we could keep the One Covenant. And then because we couldn't keep those 
Levitical laws, uh, there were over 3,000 rabbinical sayings so we could keep the 600 uh, Levitical laws so we could keep the Ten Commandments so we could keep the One Covenant. And finally God said, don't make me come down there. Now that might be somewhat humorous, but it is a reality because then He had to send His Son to be the fulfillment of that covenant and the fulfillment of that law. But in Jeremiah, we get a peek into what it's going to be like with the New Covenant. In verse 31, he starts talking about the time. He said, in those latter days, in those times, in a time coming ahead, what's coming is this, that I'm going to make a new covenant with Israel. Well, the new covenant was very much like the old covenant, wasn't it? Except this covenant wasn't written on a parchment. This covenant uh, wasn't written in stone. Uh, this covenant wasn't written into Levitical laws, uh, into a book of laws. Uh, this covenant is a covenant simply written on every heart. You see, if we had a list of rules, we'd have to put them on the wall. If we had a list of, of Levitical laws, we'd have to study them, and people would have to teach us. But this covenant was a covenant written on our hearts, which gave us the indication that the new covenant that God was giving us was not a covenant that was someone was going to check off the, the points that we did keep and the points that we didn't keep, that it wasn't a ledger that we said, well, we did so good with this one, we didn't do good with that. It wasn't a dashboard in which we kept up with those things that we were doing right and those things we were doing wrong. No, this was a covenant that was written on our hearts. This was a relationship that kept us so close to God, a relationship that helped us know God. We didn't have to have someone to tell us to know God because if a covenant is written on our heart, then we are in relationship with God. We all have the ability to know God. That beauty of that new covenant was fulfilled in another liminal moment, that in-between time. From the time that this new covenant was promised that it would be written upon the hearts of all, it's a vast time of covenant making again and covenant breaking until finally God sends his only son into the world. In the book of John, we get a powerful imagery of God becoming human. In the first chapter, a beautiful, beautiful love story or love song at the very beginning. Uh, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God. Light was dawning out of the darkness of the era of the in-between time, which literally meant that there was something new about to begin. And then again, what I quoted in chapter 1, uh, verse 14, which was, and then God became human and moved into our neighborhood, or he, God became flesh and dwelt among us. And in that moment, the covenant written upon our hearts became so real, became flesh and blood before us. The story from, from Jeremiah to John is a, a long liminal period. But there's even a liminal period that we also have in the gospel reading for today in chapter 12 of John. It's a little bit different. If you try to put the two together, you might not actually think about it unless you think about it as that sort of liminal time or that in-between time. In chapter 12, verses 20 through 33, we have the story of a group of Greeks who are coming to worship at the festival and they'd heard about Jesus and they want to meet him. Now, just before that, in fact, one verse before chapter 20 and verse 19, the Pharisees were already beginning to talk about Jesus. 
they were trying to find ways to kind of catch him. But at the same time, they were also realizing that something amazing was happening. In verse 19, it says, The Pharisees said to one another, You see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. You know, after seeing Jesus enter into Jerusalem with the crowds and the throngs singing Hosanna, the, the Pharisees were frightened. There's nothing we can do. The world's going after him. And right after that, there must have been some Greeks that were in the crowd there for the festival, probably what we call lovers of God, people who were not Israelites, not of the people of Israel, but who acknowledged God as creator, sort of a believer, if you will, in the Judaistic thought, a lover of God. So we think that may be who they were. But anyway, for whatever reason, they wanted to see Jesus. They had heard the stories. They knew that something different and something unusual was happening around him. And so we pick up the story in verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went out and told Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip uh, went and told Jesus. I love that. There was sort of a, uh, you got to get through the, uh, the entourage to get to Jesus. So if I got through the entourage. And Jesus, hearing this, answered them. A very unusual answer, by the way. Jesus understood what he was here on this earth to do. He understood the sacrifice he was about to make. And it appears in the Gospel of John, we get a little peek into this liminal moment, something that was about to end and something that was yet to begin. And that is his sacrifice on the cross. Here's what he says. Jesus answered them and said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That glorification literally was the offering of himself on the cross, for here he says, he explains it. He says, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it. Those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, there will my servants be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor them. So he knows that his time has come. He knows that he is about to enter into a new phase of this redemptive work sent by God who loved us so much he was willing to send his only son. And then you understand the depth of what's happening in this in-between time. Now my soul is troubled, he says. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, he says. It is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd standing there heard it and said, that was thunder. And others said, an angel spoke to him. And Jesus said to them, This voice has not come for your sake, not for mine, but only for your sake. This is now the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said that to indicate what kind of death he was to die. You see, the Greeks coming to seek after him seem to have been an indication that now the world was being drawn to him, that now the time had come 
for the redemption of the world to be made complete in the sacrifice that he would make upon the cross for our salvation. It was a liminal time. I go back to Jeremiah. Even when we have made all the mistakes in the world, God's steadfast love was always there, always ready to redeem us, even writing upon our hearts a new covenant, even sending His only Son, Jesus Christ, upon the earth, even to let that Son die upon a cross for our salvation. It is a very special time in the season of Lent, especially on the fifth Sunday of Lent, as we're about to enter into next week's Palm Passion Sunday and the Holy Week that goes before it. We're in a liminal time of our own when the Lenten season is is about to come to an end as we move ourselves to the sacrifice of Christ and we move toward the resurrection story that will come only days ahead of us. It is truly, in the Scriptures, a story of covenant-making and covenant-breaking, as Albert Outler so aptly put. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of reminding us that God always and constantly and steadfastly and wholly loves us and wants us to be His people. It's all about that relationship, that drawing close to us by God, which draws us close to Him. As we celebrate this Lenten season, and that's an odd word to say, celebrate for the Lenten season, but as we celebrate this Lenten season, what we celebrate in our examination of ourselves and of our our world around us, we celebrate the steadfast love of God that redeemed us and holds us fast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.